0: And Popper leaves for corner. Magnificent! It's Morais, he's done it again! He has fizzed it into the bottom corner. And Vardy for Chowdhury. He's set for Manizana! He is one bright young
1: thing! Alison saw Salah running from his own half, so here Mo Salah. Salah to in front of the no feeling like that feeling
2: and now you've got to believe them you have got to believe them hey guys welcome back to the 3PL podcast it's another week and with another action packed looking schedule in the premier league uh, january just keeps getting more and more hectic This week, we welcome back Angus to chat all things Southampton later in the podcast. But before that, we're going to get into the first game of the next game week, which actually begins next Tuesday, which starts with Crystal Palace, West Ham. Yeah, I guess I'll let you kick off on this one, Peter.
0: Yeah, it's a good game to kick off the game week, I think. It's a London derby. West Ham in really, really good form going into it. At the time of recording this, I don't know the result of our FA Cup game, but assuming that we win that, it will be five wins in a row. So it's it's looking really good defensively. We're looking really solid. And we look like we've we've found that knack of being able to persevere in games where we have to break down teams who sit deep. And I think that's going to be a really key factor in this. As we know from watching Crystal Palace plenty of times this season, they like to sit deep and hit on the counter-attack. And West Ham seem to have, have nailed that kind of tactic at the moment of breaking down teams that play like that. So I'm, I'm quite confident that we'll be able to get a goal in this game. My only concern is just... I, I feel like at some stage our good luck and our good form has to come to an end. And we do have a fairly average uh, record against Crystal Palace. They seem to be a team that we struggle to beat in many games. and Then occasionally we get a big victory against them, but uh, often they make it really tough for us. And they've made it tough for a lot of teams this season. Although they've had some big defeats, they've also played some really stale games as well. So I actually I actually don't think we're going to come away with a win from this one, even though I would like to think form suggests that we will. I've put down a 1-1 draw. I think at some stage that's going to happen for us, and we're just not going to be able to hold on to a clean sheet, and, and we're probably going to concede just as many as we score. So yeah, 1-1. Obviously, I'm optimistic that it will be better than that, but I'm, I'm trying to manage my expectations.
2: Yeah, it's obviously interesting when you come up against Crystal Palace because they rely so heavily on one or two players, the one being Wilfred Zahara, and obviously didn't play last game against Man City. And If he's not playing in this game, obviously that gives West Ham a massive advantage before the game even starts. So you would think if Zaha's not in the team, that gives you a very good chance of getting a result in this game. And that could make it, well, like five wins on the bounce. And, you know, when you're playing that well, it's almost impossible not to look towards, you know, European places. I think you're seventh in the league now. And it makes you wonder how much higher you could go if you do get a win in this game as well. For Crystal Palace, obviously, the struggle this season has been consistency. They've not been able to string consistent performances together. And we saw that for the last game, you know, they got battered by Man City. We all predicted it, really. Peter predicted it perfectly because that's what he's been doing in the predictions recently. Before that, you know, that they, they weren't conceding too many goals, but then they're just very inconsistent. And without Zaha, as we've mentioned pretty much in every episode that we talk about Crystal Palace, you know, they can't string it together. And that's going to be a problem for them in this one if they don't have him. I'm actually going to go for a West Ham win. I'm probably more positive than you about this matchup in terms of team against team. I think statistically, you would probably put West Ham a level above Palace at the moment just in terms of form and obviously having Antonio back is integral and he scored twice in his first game back against Burnley and then again in the week against West Brom and if he continues to score goals I'm sure he'll fire you up the table. Um, I guess I have one question for you about West Ham and your season so far. Obviously we know in the past West Ham fans have been quite toxic at times and they've really brought the team down when they seem to be struggling for momentum and form. Do you think that that's been a advantage to you this season not having fans in the stadium we've seen how quickly they can turn on you when you're not getting results and the fact that there's no pressure there for the team anymore do you think that's played a part in how well your season's gone to date
0: it's difficult to say really because I think there's there's two sides to that as much as the fans can be very toxic when when things aren't going well at the same time the support when things are going well especially at the away games when we're when we're winning the support and the where we get behind the team is I think Obviously, I'm biased, but I think it's second to none in in the way that we support the team in those games. So, obviously, what what you gain in not having that negative atmosphere, you probably lose in not having the positive atmosphere to push you through games as well. There is something to be said for it because if you look at our form since um, the Premier League restarted, since fans weren't allowed in stadiums, we've been one of the best teams in the league in terms of form, uh, including the end of last season. So. It's hard to argue against it, really, because only one thing has really changed in that time. And that's the lack of fans in the stadium. Yeah, I don't know how much of an impact that's actually had or whether it's just coincidence. But definitely in some of the games, I mean, there's potentially games against teams like Brighton and and matches like that. I mean, definitely the the opening game of the season against Newcastle when we lost 2-0, that would have been a horrific atmosphere. And you think that could have really lowered the morale of the team. And maybe the fact that they didn't have that knock from, of confidence meant that they were able to bounce back and pick up the form a bit easier than they would have done otherwise. So if that's the case, then I'm probably grateful that that we didn't we weren't in the stadium for that game. But obviously, you know, I'm desperate to get back at some point soon and hopefully be there to see our team playing really well. It'd be a bit of a shame if we do get into Europe and none of us have actually been there to watch the the drive to get there.
2: Yeah, that really would be tragic if you obviously get into Europe this season then aren't able to attend games next season I'm sure that won't be the case but um for your sake I really hope that well I guess I don't hope that you get Europe because you'll probably get it at the expense of Southampton but at the same time I hope you are able to at least get to a couple of games if you do make it into the Europa League
0: yeah definitely it would be uh be pretty disappointing if we weren't able to it would almost make the whole thing feel a bit pointless but yeah <laughs> that's uh something to worry about at a later date and I don't want to get too ahead of myself there anyway Okay, moving on to the next game. uh, Newcastle against Leeds. Newcastle, just shockingly bad at the moment. One of the worst teams in the league. Really, really poor form. Steve Bruce has come out and said that he's no longer going to accept the players playing their way. It's going to be his way now. And you think, well, what have you been doing for the last year and a half if you're the manager? Or have you been letting the players dictate the way they're playing? I thought that was a really strange excuse to come out with. I don't think he's done himself any favours there. I don't think he's done the players any favours there. And I don't think he'll have done his relationship with the players any favours there either. So it seems like something that's only going to have had a negative impact. And honestly, I just can't understand the logic behind it. I think he's got a real problem to solve at that, at that club at the moment. And I'm not sure he's going to have the ability to turn it around. Yeah, Newcastle are one
2: of those teams at the moment who just feel like they're on a one-way train to, you know, the relegation zone and they're probably not going to be stopping anywhere else. They're just going to be cut off there. And, you know, I can see them being relegated this season. I really can if things don't improve because they've got a team without any kind of standout player. They've got average players pretty much in every position. Yes, they've got one or two standout players, but those players aren't playing well or aren't in the team at the moment. Alan St-Maxman is one of those players who a couple of months ago, we were all singing about, you know, he looks like the most creative player on the team. He was creating things, scoring goals, but without him, they've lost all kind of ability to do that and you know they look you look at their form the last couple of games they haven't won in six games you know they have hard, they've hardly scored a goal and they've just looked dreadful and for steve bruce to come out and say that after three losses on the bounce is inexplicable i mean yes you you have some kind of say as players as to how you want to play in your position but obviously he was letting the players almost manage him which is ridiculous for a manager of his experience in the premier league especially and i don't know if the players are now just all of a sudden be like, oh, OK, we'll start playing for you since you've been so nice and let us play for you sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a very tough situation for Steve Bruce now and it's not looking great in terms of the personnel he has in this team. And in terms of leadership, I don't really see too much in there. So I wonder if he'll be able to rally this team together to try and get out of the rut they're in because it doesn't look great at the moment. On the other side, we haven't really mentioned Leeds at all in this matchup so far. And they're another team who struggled a lot recently. They've had three losses in a row, including that FA Cup loss against Crawley. And it's just been, yeah, it's been poor since ever since they came out with that tweet about Karen Carney and the disrespect she gave Leeds uh, in that interview. Everything seemed to have gone downhill since then. And you could argue it's karma. You could argue it's, you know, got into the minds of the team and how they play. But at the end of the day, you know, they've not been good enough recently. And the players who have performed so well in the first couple of months of the Premier League have just started to maybe like back off a little bit or you know, maybe get a bit complacent or just drop their level a tiny little bit. And in the Premier League, once you drop your level even a tiny bit, it becomes a big deal. And that's kind of what they're dealing with at the moment. Players out of form, not scoring goals and not playing the Leeds way, which you've all come to expect the last couple of months. So I do think Bielsa's got quite a job on there to try and turn this around and keep Leeds in a relatively respectable league position.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's not been good for Leeds recently. They they have had some really poor form and they will be really desperate to get back to winning ways and I almost feel like this is the perfect game for them. There was going to be a game that they had to look at and go we need a game where we can emphatically win this and get ourselves back into our form. Newcastle were the team just waiting to be turned over by Leeds so I think that's the way it's going to go. I've gone with a a comprehensive 3-0 victory to Leeds in this game. I can't see anything else. I think it's it's perfectly set up for Leeds just to run riot in this and, and get back to winning ways so wouldn't be surprised if it was the sort of the turning point for them to get over this little blip that they've had. I don't think they're going to be a consistent team at all at any point this season, but they're, they'll hopefully get back to to getting some points on the board because they they definitely need it if they're going to establish themselves as a a continuous Premier League team going forward.
2: Yeah, that's it as well. You've got to put the structure in there for the season coming next, and you know try and build towards something more than just a, a relegation survival season. So. I think they will be able to do that. I think they'll probably pick up a couple of big wins before the end of the season. I could see one of them coming against Newcastle. I'm not going to go for a super convincing win because they've not really looked convincing recently. And you'd think that Newcastle would start to play a little bit better. I mean, I'm not going to bank on that, but you would think that would happen. So I'm just going to go for a 2-0 Leeds win. I think they'll get the win. I think it will be comfortable. But yeah, I don't think it will be the Leeds that we've seen blow away teams early on in the season. All right, moving on, we have Southampton, um, my club, and Angus's club. We welcome him back onto the podcast this week to talk about Southampton. And we'll start with their fixture at the weekend, which is potentially a repeat of the FA Cup game this weekend coming, yet to be confirmed, uh, playing Shrewsbury as we speak at the moment. But Southampton, Arsenal on Tuesday night could be a pretty important game for both teams, I think. Uh, Southampton have been falling down the table lately. I think a couple of injuries have really hit us when we had some momentum going. And as for Arsenal, they've been going the opposite way in the table, and it's you know, it could be a difficult picture for us. But I guess we have this opportunity to speak to Angus tonight. So let's make the most of it and talk Southampton. So just how much do you think these injuries have held us back in recent weeks?
1: I think it's a huge amount. And I think one of the key things has been Yannick out. Even though Stevens has stepped up into the team and has done well in terms of his defensive duties, he just doesn't offer the same creativity going forwards. Yannick was not only really commanding when it comes up for corners, winning headers and just causing carnage in the uh, the opposition's box. It was the way he could really like move the ball around the pitch really well. He was a, both short passing, he very quick get into our midfielder's feet and often just beyond our midfielders into more of our attacking midfielders like Armstrong, Wolcott. He'd get into their feet really quickly, really good at long raking balls. I think that has made a huge difference to our style of football. We've really struggled to break teams down without him. The other notable absentee we've had recently is in Danny Ings. We've seen how Influential
2: he can be week to week. Probably our one go-to player when you need a goal, and he hasn't been in the team for at least like the last three months because of an ongoing knee injury. And I think he's now being rested uh, after COVID. So, do you think we need to invest in someone up front? Um, obviously, we've got Che Adams up there, but at the moment, but he's not really getting the goals as reliably as Danny Ings has been. So, do you think we need to look into the Chancellor
1: window this January? It's a really difficult one because obviously the finance situation of where the club is at the moment has come out recently. I do worry about if we bring in another player does that mean we then can't improve the contracts of some of our more key players already in the side so such as Danny Ings who we know is currently in the market for a new contract we need to tie him down or we risk losing him and he is like you said such a key player I think it's more of a case if we need to take our time bringing Danny Ings back into the side um I think after his knee injury luckily it was only a month but When we did bring him back, he seemed quite rusty, a bit slow, wasn't quite back up to his same intensity, which is understandable. Maybe we could have taken a bit more time to slowly build him up. The coronavirus situation is just awful timing for us, especially when we've come up against some really difficult fixtures recently. It's just not got that flow back into the side. I'd love us to spend money. I just don't see it happening, to be honest. Obviously,
2: Danny Ings is our main man at the moment. And as it sounds, coming from both Ralph and the news, it seems like he's quite reluctant to sign a new contract. I think ultimately it's coming down to we don't have the money to to offer. And obviously he's he's going to be on some big money now and he can justify being so because he's so important for us. But yeah, do you think um, financially we are a little bit crippled at the moment
1: due to COVID? And is that going to cost us Danny Ings ultimately? Yeah, I'm slightly worried that he'll go. I think there will be clubs sniffing him, but he's not going to want to go to a club and sit on the bench. I don't think he's in that position, especially in his position of his career now. I think he's eyeing the England position. Like He's probably never going to get ahead of Harry Kane, but he must be thinking, I could be the first choice if Harry Kane gets injured. I could be on the bench. He wants to be in that position. And he for that to be the case, he needs to be playing week in, week out. So I think that rules out quite a few clubs. Maybe Leicester, like he could be that replacement for Jamie Vardy. I think that would be one of my biggest worries, is that Leicester have a lot more money than I think people give him credit for. I think they're a quite a wealthy club. That would be my biggest concern, is that actually Leicester might be the one who will go in for him. And that could be where we'd lose him.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you've sort of got a situation at Southampton now where the whole season so far have been pushing on, doing really well, performing well, moving up the league, potentially fighting for... European places but then we're also now talking about the, the impact that Covid is going to have on the financial situations of clubs and I think a lot of clubs are going to be having similar sort of concerns and worries at the moment about the impact financially that, that they're going to see and there will be clubs I think that will pull away because they have the finances and the liquidity to be able to ride, ride through this sort of scenario and, and not be too badly affected. Clubs like Southampton to an extent, my club as well, West Ham, I think will probably find this situation a lot harder where they're, they've not got a huge amount of money sitting in the bank waiting to spend. Um, so you could unfortunately see some of those like star players being shipped out just to, to pay back some of the debts and to get some money back in. And I think Danny Ings unfortunately could be one of those. But as Angus says, there, there is a, you know, you've got to think who realistically is going to sign him and give him the money that he wants. Um, that's the only sort of, Optimistic way of looking at it is that realistically, he's not going to choose to go somewhere that's a sideways move. I think he's going to want to move upwards, and he'd probably rather stay at Southampton than go somewhere similar and, and somewhere around the same level.
2: Right, enough doom and gloom about COVID. I think everyone's heard enough about how it's going to affect the Premier League and how it's going to affect different clubs around the Premier League. Um, moving on to the game this weekend, obviously we host Arsenal uh, on Tuesday. Actually, not this weekend, and. Yeah, it could be an interesting game because we could end up playing each other twice within four days. Um
1: yeah, Angus, how do you see it going? This is a really difficult one to call because the first time we played them, and it wasn't that long ago, we were by far the better team. We, we were playing off the park for large parts of the game and they just got... It was a good goal, but there was definitely opportunities where a Southampton player should have taken a yellow, done a professional foul and taken... I can't remember who it was, it was the left mid, I think it might have been Saka at the time, who was breaking through and laid through Aubameyang. If they had taken that foul, we'd have won that game 1-0 and we would have been comfortable. We had a couple of opportunities as well, which we should have buried. Um, however, since then, obviously Arsenal have gone on a really good run of form. They've beaten Chelsea 3-1, which was a big shock to me. And I think that's really changed the tides for both those teams. Chelsea have gone on a really poor streak of late. And then on the other hand, Arsenal have gone from strength to strength. they going to be in a tricky Brighton side, although they're not winning a lot of matches. They're not an easy team to play. They always put up a good fight. They beat a West Brom under Sam Allardyce and beat him comfortably 4-0. Drew with Palace and then obviously went on to Newcastle and beat Newcastle comfortably 3-0. So they're a team which is going from strength to strength. So I do worry about that because when you see teams in form like that, and obviously Southampton... Equally being struggling at the moment, especially struggling for goals. That's our big issue. I do worry what Arsenal could do to us. I think it'll be a tight game. I think we can keep it tight. But I'm not sure we're going to get the win. I I think it might be a draw. And I think that's a slight bias of being a Saints fan on my side. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. But I think they're likely to dominate a lot of the possession.
2: Yeah, Arsenal obviously in recent weeks have been massively improved. Every single player now appears to be playing for the badge, which was something we didn't see the first half of the season. And yeah, I am a little bit worried about this matchup as well. I don't think we're playing them at the best time for us. Uh, not only are they in good form, but we're in pretty poor form and we've got injuries and they've got players coming back into their team like Thomas Partey, our is now scoring goals again. And it seems like everything's going in the opposite direction to what we would probably want it to going into this game, which usually only ends in one outcome. So I think for the first time I'm going to be a little pessimistic with my prediction and go for a defeat because if we don't lose, then I'll be fairly content with it. But if we do, then I would have seen it coming and it wasn't that big a surprise. So I'm probably just going to go for a narrow 2-1 Arsenal win, but I'm hoping you can turn up the books and you know potentially get a result out of this one.
0: Yeah, it's weird because this is a fixture, but two months ago it would have been a really, really easy one to predict. But I do think it's become a lot harder to predict at this stage. Um, I've actually gone the same lines as Angus and gone for a 1-1 draw I do think obviously Arsenal have massively improved but a lot of the games they've played have been against the teams that are a bit weaker in the league You know, Yes, they've they've had some good results but they have primarily come against the teams that are sort of around the bottom half of the table so it'll be a good test for them against Southampton and I I do think Southampton will have enough to avoid defeat in this one So yeah, 1-1 but probably not a, a classic game to watch really
2: OK, moving on, we have got Sam Allardyce's West Brom against Pep Guardiola's Man City. And it's an interesting game for a lot of reasons, really, because Man City have actually been one of the best teams in the Premier League lately. They've probably been the best team in the Premier League, actually. They've not lost a game in the last six games. They've hardly conceded a goal. They're second in the league with the game in hand. And the turnaround that they've had recently has been pretty exceptional to watch. They've looked almost night and day from where they started the season. And all of this is without almost an established striker playing up front for them. So... It's it's been impressive on so many levels. And I think coming up against West Brom in this matchup is, you know, it should be very one-way traffic. But saying that, Sam Allardyce got his first win as West Brom manager against Wolves. And it was a pretty impressive win as well. Uh, Coming from behind twice to get a win there. But then they didn't back it up in the week against West Ham, which I guess would be the worry for Sam Allardyce. And that he can't get consistent performances out of his team. Obviously, hosting Man City is never easy. And I can't really see it being any different in this one. I think Man City are on a bit of a roll at the moment. And I think it will take some team to stop them. I don't really see anything that West Brom can throw at Man City to worry them. So, yeah, I think it's going to be convincing.
0: Can't really disagree with that. It would be stupid to disagree with it in the form that City are in. They they do look like they're at back to their absolute best. They're winning games comfortably and, and doing so with some real style as well. They seem to be back to the kind of form we saw from them in that incredible record-breaking season they had, where they broke every record there was to break. And it's fun to watch. I mean, as a a neutral, when you watch their games, it's great to watch that kind of football. And especially when you've got De Bruyne putting in passes like he did in their game against Crystal Palace, it was just such a wonderful assist. And it shows the real talent that he's got, the ability he's got. When you've got players in your team like that, you're always going to have a chance of scoring really good goals. Yeah, obviously, I've watched the West Brom game against West Ham and they sat back so deep against West Ham and allowed us to control the game. And they they basically handed us the win. I mean, West Ham didn't have to do anything special to get a victory in that game. It was it was really taking the chances when they came. Um, West Brom obviously got a goal, but that was fairly against the run of play. And I think if that's how they're going to play against West Ham, they're, they're unlikely to come out and play an attacking game against Man City. And if they played the same way again... Man City are going to run right because they'll they'll carve that defence open really easily. You know, West Ham found it easy enough, Man City are going to find it so easy and that's why I've I've written down 4-0 again. I think they'll back it up, make it consecutive 4-0 wins and it just it seems to be Man City's favourite scoreline I think. Just a, a nice comfortable 4-0 win to come away looking like they've barely broken a sweat.
2: Yeah, it's one of those matchups when you look at it statistically. Uh, West Brom are the team who have conceded the most goals in the Premier League and Man City are well up there in terms of goals scored in the Premier League. So, these two things are going to combine, in my opinion. And, yeah, it's going to be a pretty hefty win for Man City. I'm going to put myself out there and say 5 nil. I think it's going to be one better than four. West Brom are going to sit back and hope they can hold out, whereas Man City are going to take the game to West Brom. And Man City's attacking players are way better than West Brom's defence. So, yeah, I'm going to go 5-0, put it out there. OK, moving on, we have Burnley versus Aston Villa, the battle of Claret and Blue. Um, Aston Villa obviously haven't played a game for quite a while now. They've been... Hit with Covid just like Newcastle were early in the season they haven't played a game since the 1st of January in the Premier League so they're coming up against a Burnley side who have a bit more match practice under their belt yes that's not really proved results recently uh, they obviously lost to West Ham at the weekend and then before that they lost to Man United as well so not the best form taking into this one but you would think that edge they have just by playing games might see them through this one Aston Villa obviously haven't played a game and you know they were playing very well before this Covid issue hit their training ground but it'll be interesting to see if they can just re-pick up that level and just pick up where they left off because we've seen with so many players in the Premier League and so many teams it's difficult just to switch it on and off so I think it's a tough matchup for Aston Villa uh, especially going to Burnley where they've got the majority of their results this season they're much better at home than they are away so I'd probably fancy Burnley from the outset anyway just in terms of uh, home advantage but yeah it'll be very interesting to see how Aston Villa turn up after their long absence.
0: Yeah, it will. And I think what what's even more interesting about it for Aston Villa is that before they play this game, they're going to have played two more Premier League games as well. And I think the the fatigue will start to kick in. They're, they're playing, I mean, by the time this, this episode comes out, I think they'll have played their, their midweek game on the Wednesday and then they'll be playing Friday night again against Newcastle. Then they've got this game to follow up on it. Um, obviously they haven't got a, an FA Cup game to, to worry about because they obviously had to sort of almost forfeit that game against Liverpool. But yeah, I think the to go from playing zero games in for, for almost two and a half weeks to them playing three games in the space of eight days is going to be a real test for them. And I think the fitness is not going to be there. The the match endurance is not going to be there. Having said that, Burnley don't turn teams over. They If they do win, they win by one goal. And quite often they struggle to even get that goal. So I think all, all Aston Villa will need to do is turn up to this game and play a solid defensive game. And if they do manage to get a goal on the break, they'll be happy with it. But, but they'll also be comfortable coming away from this game with a a, a point, I think, because they'll know that they're, they're going to struggle to keep up the intensity with the how thick and fast their fixtures are going to come. They've got four games in hand over some teams at the moment with the way their fixtures have been postponed. So they're going to have to be sensible with the way they approach these games. I can see it being a bit of a stalemate, unfortunately, and I've I've gone for a nil-nil draw in this one. Um, we know how miserly Burnley can be, especially at Turf Moor, and as I said, I don't think Aston Villa will have the energy to be going all out to win this one.
2: Yeah, I know that I couldn't play three matches in a week, so I don't know if that's any kind of comparison to Aston Villa. No. They will be pretty lacking match fitness, I guess, and having played two games in the week, like you say, I think then coming into another game on a Tuesday night at Burnley as well, Probably the last game you want after a pretty hectic fixture schedule. I think it's bad news for Aston Villa. So I'm actually going to go for a Burnley win in this one. I think they'll just about have an edge, have a rested team. Um, They'll be well up for it as well, being a home game under the lights. So yeah, I'm going to go for a narrow one as well, just because I don't think Aston Villa are particularly weak defensively. But I do think Burnley will get the win 1-0.
0: Moving on to the next match, we've got Chelsea taking on Wolves. This is another interesting one because both teams have had some really poor form recently. We said in the last episode about Frank Lampard and, and how the game against Fulham almost needed to be a really big, emphatic victory. And it was anything but that. It was a, a very narrow 1-0 win game, the the goal coming quite late on in the game. And I think uh, as much as they got the three points, I don't think it will have done anything to alleviate the concerns that the board will have or the fans will have about the way they're playing. And as we're recording this, I think, they're, I think it's still 2-0 to Leicester in that game. So... You know, that means at that stage, Chelsea are going into this game with with two wins from their last six. One of those was against West Ham and was fairly comprehensive, but the other one against Fulham was not comprehensive at all. So Wolves, who were also in bad form, will be looking at this as a good opportunity to get a win as well. So it's going to be quite an interesting one. I can see Wolves doing quite well in this game. However, I do still think that Wolves just... Without that striker, that talisman, we've said it every week since that him and his injury, without him, they just look a different team. I was really hoping that they might have been able to sign Diego Costa by this game, because what a game that would be for him to come back in and play against his former club back at Stamford Bridge. But it's not looking likely that that's going to get through in time. So I don't know, really tough one to call. Before I say my prediction, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this one. Yeah, fair enough.
2: You can copy me once I'm done. Um, I kind of think that this is plays into the hands of Wolves more than Chelsea. We saw it's one of the few fixtures that's been played already this season. We saw Chelsea struggle against Wolves, and the previous fixture at Molyneux a couple of weeks ago before Christmas. And I honestly think it might be a repeat performance because, yes, Wolves have struggled lately uh, without Jimenez, but to me they seem like more of a team than Chelsea do right now. And ultimately, that's what wins your games. Uh, Chelsea are very disjointed. They beat Fulham, but it wasn't convincing. The goal was scrappy. Mason Mount turned up in the right place at the right time. Obviously, Wolves didn't get a result against West Brom, which was surprising to everyone. But I think West Brom just wanted it more on that day. And ultimately, it'll come down to who wants it more, I think. Because Wolves have the players in that team, regardless of whether Jimenez is playing, to win games. Uh, At the moment, I think there's a little bit lacking confidence and wondering how they're going to find goals without Jimenez, because they haven't really resolved that one yet. It doesn't look like they're going to sign anyone this window. At least there's no rumours other than Diego Costa right now. So... It'll be interesting to see what happens in this isolated matchup. I think going forward, Chelsea will obviously have to improve massively. Again, like you said, they're losing in the week against Leicester. And that's a game they probably would have fancied themselves for to push up the league and you know really start to improve on this poor league position they find themselves in. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it just is quite a close game to call. With a win, Chelsea could go up the league. And with a loss, they could fall into the bottom half of the table. And the same with Wolves, really. They could push into the top half or... It could be embroiled in a relegation battle with a couple more bad results. So, honestly, I think it's one of the toughest games to call this game week. God, I wish you'd gone first in this one, to be honest. But I'm going to go for an entertaining draw. I'm going to go for a 2 all I think both teams will come at it with a pretty aggressive attitude and hopefully we'll make it for an entertaining game and hopefully there'll be a share of the
0: points. Interesting. So, I've gone for a 2-1 Chelsea win, despite what I was saying about Wolves' sort of viewing this is a good opportunity to win. I I do agree with you. I think Wolves look more of a, a solid unit than Chelsea do at the moment. But I also then think that Chelsea have just got that spark of quality that is there. It's waiting to come. There's no doubt in the fact that they've got some incredibly talented players in that team. I think in a game like this, where both teams are struggling for form, sometimes it's those sparks of individual brilliance that win a game. I struggle to see where that spark's going to come from from Wolves, unless it's sort of Fabio Silva turning up. He did score a good goal at the at the weekend um, against West Brom in the game that they lost. But I, I feel more likely that it's going to be the kind of game that someone like Pulisic or Werner or Havertz would would have an impact and and score a great goal and, and get the win. So I've gone for yeah, two one Chelsea win. Right, moving on to the next game, we've got Brighton up against Fulham. Uh, Two teams right at the the wrong end of the table and two teams with only one win between them in their last 12 games combined. So very poor form. Brighton did, of course, get a good result against Leeds. But again, that's a Leeds team that were in a dip of form themselves. So it's been a long time since either team got a victory that they could count as being an emphatic win or a, a win that really showed that they've got any signs of fighting for survival. Yeah, really not looking good for either team. And probably one of the worst games of the weekend lining up really in terms of the style of football that these two teams play. Um, What do you think?
2: Yeah, I was about to say I watch most of the games during a Premier League game week. Uh, With this being midweek, there's obviously quite difficult to to plan which ones to watch, but I can guarantee this is not one of the games that I'm going to plan to watch because neither team have impressed me this season. Yes, they've both made improvements. They've both looked good in isolated games, but in general, neither team is a team you'd pick to watch voluntarily uh, as a neutral. So definitely going to be giving it a hard pass but in terms of the match it's pretty interesting I guess both teams are fairly similar in terms of form Fulham arguably have had the better form yes they've not been winning games or scoring goals but they've been grinding out results where arguably they should have been losing whereas Brighton haven't won a game at home this season and that must be such a struggle for them not being able to get it going at home obviously they've had some big wins away like the win against Leeds but not being able to win at home is a massive problem we've seen that for many teams myself as a Sampton fan we've been on huge runs before where you're not able to win games at home and it becomes a real struggle I guess as a player you must go into the home games and be fearing them almost and it's almost beneficial for them that they don't have any fans in the stadium at this point because I'm sure they'd be super pissed off having to pay money every week to watch your team lose so yes it's a tough one to call as interesting or as uninteresting this matchup sounds I think it's a very interesting game in terms of how either team could take an advantage having got a result in this one I really do think this home advantage is or home disadvantage for Brighton's going to play a part. So I don't know where the goals is going to come from for Fulham, but I reckon they're going to nick it 1-0. And
0: that would be a huge result for Fulham if if they can get it because they, you know, if they're going to win Games, the games they need to win are, are going to have to be against the teams around them if they're going to climb out of that relegation zone and, and give themselves a chance of survival. And it would put them only two points behind Brighton, which would be huge, I think, um, especially given Brighton's form. And Fulham would feel like they could take the initiative then to fight on and get some more points and climb themselves out. I think, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a draw. I just don't see either team having much to win this I, I do agree with you if either team's going to do it I think it will be Fulham but I just feel like it's going to be a bit another stalemate unfortunately I've gone with 1-1 rather than 0-0 because I'm just optimistic we might get some goals Um but I can't yeah I just can't see the team doing too much in this one.
2: In terms of Fulham's recent goal struggles and obviously they've been rotating their strikers they've had Bobby Reed up there they've had Caviero. do you think it's time they look back towards Mitrovic and giving him a run in the team again obviously they've not scored Many goals at all recently. Do you think he's the man to turn around their fortunes? I
0: I don't know if he's the man to turn around their fortunes, but I do think it's time they gave him another run in the team. We we know what he can do. He in the past he has been a fantastic striker, very prolific, causes defenders trouble. He's not been the same this season. It has to be said he's never really hit that level of form, and he had some bad games. He's obviously had that game where he missed a, a pretty horrific penalty that we. Really let his team down, and I probably think that's why he's not been in the team. it's just because he's not shown the anything to prove that he is a man for the job. But when you're struggling to score goals the way they are, and when you're struggling to pick up results, you, you do need to look somewhere else and try and get some firepower from somewhere. And he, with a player like him on your bench, it seems silly not to give him a go. Caviero and Luckman have looked like the players that are going to get their goals if he's not in the team but realistically the goals for them have have not been there for the last few games I think they've only scored three goals in their last six games so it's it's not good for them and yeah I don't see why you wouldn't just throw him in there and try especially against a team like Brighton I know Brighton have got big centre-backs but if anyone's going to give them a, a bad day at the office Mitrovic is probably the one to to rough them up a bit and see if he can get a goal
2: yeah, I think it's one of those rare opportunities for him to actually get physical and and play to his advantages. Maybe Fulham don't do that enough, and that's why they're where they are in the league. I think he's one of those players who gives you a very different option up front, and and maybe that will be enough for Fulham to get a narrow win in this one. Okay, next up we have Everton versus Leicester, two teams who have been flying high this season. We saw them match up a couple of weeks ago, and actually Everton managed to get the better of Leicester at. Leicester and that was an interesting result because I don't think Everton are at full strength and Leicester were taking some really good form into it and it kind of went against the form guide as such. Again, this is a very interesting game. Both teams have kind of maintained their level and their position in the league table. Leicester currently sitting in third as time of recording anyway and then Everton in sixth. Yeah, I guess it's two teams who will be pushing towards those, those Champions League places and like justifiably so. I think they've both been worthy of it this season. They've both played very good football. They both have great squads. We've seen them pick up some really good results this season and again it's very difficult to tell the two apart I think in my opinion they've both been equally as good as each other you could probably edge slightly towards Leicester they've, they've picked up some really good results lately probably have the slightly more dangerous starting 11 but as we've seen this season Everton just can't be written off we saw they went to Wolves uh, last week didn't have a recognised striker in the squad played Sigerson in the holding number nine position and they still managed to win the game and it was you know very smart uh, managerial expertise, I guess, from Ancelotti, and I think that's probably won them a lot of points over the course of the season. So, it's it's a very intriguing match up. I think Leicester will probably go in favourites because of their form. I think they're beating Chelsea in the week, and and Everton probably have a few niggles that might affect their starting eleven. So. I probably would favour Leicester in this in this matchup, but it's gonna be a very tight game.
0: Got to agree, to be honest. I think exactly what you said. There's two teams on really good form. Both have got the ability to win games like this. Um, they've both shown that they're capable of doing it. But I do, yeah, I do, I do think Leicester are going to have the edge in this. And I just think they're on such good form at the moment. They're going to have confidence flowing through them. And Leicester have proven time and time again that they're a team that once they get confidence up and they start to get that momentum, they're very hard to stop. They almost get this sort of like tribal spirit about them that they just, they they don't think they're going to lose games and they go into the games with that attitude and they come away with some just really good victories. And I can see them doing that again here against Everton. I actually think what one of the things that is great about the way Leicester are playing at the moment is it's just added another element to the title race because realistically they are in with the shout of the race for the title at the moment. And we've potentially now got ourselves a four-way title race with United, City, Liverpool and Leicester all fighting for it and it's been a long time since we had a Premier League that had that kind of um, excitement to it at least this far into the season so I almost do hope that Leicester carry on their winning run just to keep the pressure on those teams that are sort of more naturally expected to be at the top of the table and you know as much as I don't think Leicester are going to go on to win the title again just because of the quality around them I think it would be great if they managed to stay up there and, you know, why not give them another run in the Champions League? They they did fairly well last time they went at it and it would be nice to see them try it again. And I think they deserve it with the way they've played over the last few years and the way they've sustained their high position in the league year in, year out. It would be good to see them have another go at it.
2: I 100% agree. Uh, having Leicester up there in the title race is something that we've almost come to expect now because they've really pushed on since they won the league. And I don't think many teams would have, or many fans would have expected them to uphold that that lofty league position because they just haven't invested in the squad like other teams do. Um, their rivals in the title race, Liverpool, Manchester United, Man City, have all invested huge amounts of money in their squads. Uh, this summer, I don't think Leicester spent more than £40 million, which is incredible, really. And, yeah, credit to them because they are, you know, right up there and justifiably in the title race. But equally, Everton aren't that far away either. I think they're only four or five points off Leicester and... With a few good results, they could easily be up there as well challenging for a title, which is ridiculous. And that is just the summary of the Premier League this season, which is unbelievable. And that's why everyone's enjoying it so much, I guess, because it literally is anybody's race at the moment. And yeah, who knows how this one's going to go. I think I'm going to tip Leicester to win. It's definitely going to be an interesting game and it could well decide you know, who misses out on Europe and who gets Europe at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I've, I've also tipped them to win as a, a 2-1 victory. I think it will be a difficult game and I think Everton will give them a good go for it, but... At the end of the day, I think Leicester probably will have the, the upper hand and they'll they'll push on. But as you said, if Everton do manage to get the victory, it just throws the whole of that top six, top seven into turmoil. I mean, we've spoken already, West Ham and Southampton both have a, a, a good chance at it. Aston Villa will still think that they've got a good chance at it if they can keep their form going. Everton, Leicester, Tottenham, Chelsea, all teams that potentially going to be in and around there and unfortunately not all of those teams are going to get it so someone's going to end up disappointed but it's great as you know obviously we're both fans of a team within that fight but as a neutral fan it must be great to watch that sort of battle and it would be almost impossible at the moment to call how that the top half of the league is going to finish in, in terms of positions it's all to play for and you could even see a team like Man United dropping back down towards that sort of position if they have a dip in form Speaking of Man United, they're, they're in our next game. Uh, coming up, they they play against bottom of the table Sheffield United. It's polar ends of the table, polar ends of form. United on, on brilliant form. They'll be really pleased with a, a point that they managed to get at Anfield. It's probably as much as they could have hoped for. Um, and it was the kind of game that I think we all predicted a fairly stalemate game. I mean, this is probably the easiest game to predict all weekend, is it?
2: Oh, 100%. I can't see this going any other way than a very convincing Manchester United win. I think it had it been at Bramwell Lane, maybe Sheffield United might have given May United a bit more of a problem. But the fact this is at Old Trafford, and wow. Manchester United haven't lost a game at Old Trafford since they lost to Arsenal in November, I think. And they've just been going strength to strength since then. And they look like a completely different team now. And yeah, it's just honestly amazing to see the turnaround that Ollie's had with Manchester United. I don't think anybody really respected him as a manager before this season. Yes, he ended last season well, but I think people probably thought that was momentum and, you know, he wasn't going to carry it on this season. And initially it kind of looked like that might, that would be the case. But Manchester United have just turned it around and they've relied on their, their big name players. And finally, the likes of Paul Pogba, Martial, Rashford, they're all starting to sing the same song. And everybody knew once that happened, it would be, you know, easy for them almost. Um, and that has been lately, really, until they played Liverpool. It was a very tight game, arguably should have won, had some really good chances. And they probably ruined their chances as well, because that was a great chance to end that streak at Anfield. But they weren't quite able to do it. Yeah, in this match-up, I can't see it going any other way than a very convincing Manchester United win. Sheffield United, yes, they had that win a couple of weeks ago against Newcastle, the first one of the season. But I think it was just a blip. I think it was just a one-off. I think they really wanted to get over that hump of not winning a game. They've got that game out of the way now. And I guess they'll be hunting down Derby's record low total for the rest of the season. But... Yeah, this is just a bad matchup for them. And I can see Manchester United cruising to a fairly comfortable 3-0 win. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any surprises in
0: this one. Yeah, I, I do think for Sheffield United, that win against Newcastle, psychologically, it's almost as though for the, for the whole season building up to that point, their aim was to get that first win. Get that first win, we've got to get that first win. And now they've got that first win. And it's almost like they've climbed up a hill they've got to the top of the hill and they've realised that there's a massive mountain that they've got to climb after that. And psychologically, as much as it must have been great to get that win, it must have been really crushing to think it's taken us like 18 games to get to this point and we still need about seven or eight wins from our next few games to even stand a chance of survival. I think it's almost worse now that they've got that win because they've not got anything achievable to fight for. There's Whatever they've got to do now is almost unachievable. So, There's very little to aim for in these games and Man United are just going to have far too much for them. One thing I wanted to ask your opinion on, um, you mentioned Paul Pogba and, and his form recently. He's clearly been a great player for them over the last few weeks especially in the, the game against Burnley he really ran the show and, and got a lot of praise for the way he performed in that slightly less so against uh, Liverpool but then I think it, that that midfield battle was always going to be tough in in that game I wanted to to hear from you how much credit do you think um, Solskjaer should be given for the way he's handled that situation after Pogba's agents outburst earlier in the season and how it all looked like it was going downhill for him to get Pogba back playing in the team consistently and playing with such great form I think shows a really good level of man management but wonder if you sort of give that credit to Solskjaer or whether you think it's more down to Pogba himself.
2: Yeah, I think it must be a combination of, of the two. Uh, obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's had to show a lot of metal the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, uh, to almost prove the doubters wrong and, and manage his squad like he has. You know, before Christmas, we were all wondering if he could maintain the level of performance and he's managed to do so so far and he's managed to get players like Paul Pogba on sides, which is something I don't think anybody saw coming because once his agent comes out and says that he's not happy there, I think it would have been very easy for Paul Bogwitz to just down tools and, you know, just almost refuse to play and and just be quite happy with a substitute spot. But credit to him, I guess, because I think it's more the player than the manager in this situation that he's willing to play because he could easily just stop playing. But he's decided to play, decided to commit himself 100% to the team. And you've seen the result of that the last couple of weeks. He's been Manchester United's best player almost game in, game out. Yeah, I, as good as he's been, you would hope it's not just, you know, to try and get his, his transfer in the summer. He's not just putting himself in the shop window of these performances. If Manchester United can get Champions League or, or win the league this season, you would think he's going to completely change his mind again about leaving Manchester United because you'd be, you'd be silly to leave one of the best clubs in the world, biggest clubs in the world, you know, the biggest fan base in the world, um, just for a payday, which is ultimately what it sounded like. So it's credit to him for getting his head right. Maybe someone sat down with him, I don't know if it was Oli, his agent a family member, whoever it was, I think he's finally managing to get his head in the right place and for Manchester United that can only be beneficial because, you know, we've, we've seen the last couple of weeks just how good they've been with him and the team and playing well. So. I guess credit to Oli for for putting him in the team to begin with, but I think it's mainly down to Paul Pogba for for raising his level.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair, and and I think you know personally I, w- I would like to see Pogba stay, and I would like to see him do really well and and win another couple of trophies with United, especially if they could get something big like winning the Premier League or the Champions League. I know it's a big ask, but I think if he managed to stay and and be a key fixture in that team and go on and win something like that, um, it really would prove all the critics wrong, and it would it would give him a great justification for sort of his reasoning for staying there and, and doing well and a lot of the people that have said oh he's, he's not as good as everyone says he is if he if he made himself a key player of that team and went on to win something it would be very hard to maintain that argument against him
2: yeah it'd be great if they could prove some of the doubters wrong because we've seen and heard all season that he's not in it he's not in it for the right reasons he wants to move and I think it would just prove to everyone that he's almost a completely different person to what people thought he was not a selfish player not someone who's looking for their next move the next payday he's looking to Win success with the club he's currently at, and you know the club that's really trusted him, and I'm brought him back to the club to win stuff. So, you know, ultimately, it'd be great to see him do that at Manchester United. All right moving on to the next game and the final game of the game week, it's a big one as well. It's Tottenham versus Liverpool, a, a match up you probably would have predicted to go one way a couple of weeks ago, but lately, Liverpool looks really, really poor, and that's not me exaggerating either. They've not scored almost any goals in the last four games. They scored one goal in the last four. They've been second best in most of those matchups as well and I don't know whether this is to do with you know such a high level they've set for themselves that they're just starting to drop off a little bit and they're not as good as they were in previous seasons or whether it's just a case of other teams you know really rising to the occasion when they play Liverpool. We saw Tottenham go to Liverpool a couple of months ago and and they gave them a really good run for their money ultimately a very late Bobby Firmino goal won Liverpool the game and I think Mourinho will be very bitter uh, not just about that game but he'll be really riled up for this one Uh, I don't think he enjoyed losing that game. I think he really thought that Tottenham could end that streak at Anfield and he wasn't quite able to do it. But I think he might get Tottenham up for this one. And if anything, it's the best time to play Liverpool at the moment because they look shaky. They've got a game against Burnley in the week, which they should be able to get a win in, you'd think. But then they're coming into this game away at Tottenham against a team who've had a full week of rest, no midweek fixture. I think it could just add up into that kind of scenario where Mourinho sets out a very concise game plan and starts to systematically take apart a fairly poor tired looking Liverpool side so I'm going to save my prediction until you've spoken about the game but I kind of think it could be an upset in this one.
0: That's interesting because I've actually I've gone the other way I think it could be the game where Liverpool turn their form around I didn't think they were going to get a a victory against Manchester United I think that was always going to be a tough ask for them because those games always are the way we expected it to be, very cagey. But I think, as you said, Liverpool have got to play Burnley before this, and I think if they get a win in that, they get some momentum back and take it into this game, they they could get um, a good result against Tottenham because Tottenham have shown their their weaknesses recently. They've, they've had some poor results. They've had some games that they really should have done better in and didn't. I, I do think there's something to be said about the fact that Liverpool have got some incredibly high-quality players up front who have all been underperforming now for about four or five games When you've got the level of quality they've got, that underperforming only goes on for so long. It might happen with one player for an extended period of time, but it's not going to happen with that entire front three for more than four or five games. And I think there's got to come a point where the players, the likes of Salah, Firmino and Mane, suddenly find their form again and and bang in a, a number of goals. So... I think Tottenham could be the unlucky team that, that feel the wrath of all that built-up tension from Liverpool. I don't think it's going to be a huge victory. I've gone for a 2-1 win to Liverpool, um, but I, I think you know, Liverpool are still an incredible team. We've seen time and time again how good they are, and I do think this is a, a blip for them. It's been, it's been very poor form, and they've played really badly, and rightly so. They've had some bad results, but that, that's got to end eventually, and I think Tottenham will probably be the team that, that ends against.
2: It's a bold prediction, very different to how I was thinking about this matchup. Like you said, they've got that opportunity to bounce back in the week against Burnley, and I think they will do that. And I think they'll take out a lot of their aggression on Burnley as well. I think it'll be a fairly one sided game. But then you would expect them to, you know, carry on that after that game and, and take that into this Tottenham game. But I just don't think that the players are gonna, you know, be able to replicate that form. If if they do beat Burnley comfortably, I don't see them being able to just turn it on against Tottenham, who have, you know, been one of the better teams, especially at home this season. Kane and Son You know, you just can't really write them off in any any match-up. So, for me, I can see this being one of those games where Liverpool go in, rightly favourites. But, I don't know, we've seen it with, like, really good teams in Europe for multiple, multiple years now where they have a year or two of dominance. And then they'll lose one or two games and then it all starts to fall apart. We've seen it with Barcelona, we've seen it with Real Madrid and then it's very difficult to recover. Usually it ends up with, you know, manager influx, um, different changes all across the squad, transfers. I don't see it being quite that widespread. I don't think it's a huge problem with Liverpool because they've got players missing from this team through injury and obviously they'll come back and the team will be much more solid as a result. But I do think their struggle might go on for a bit longer than people expect. I don't think they're just going to be able to turn it around with a a midweek win against Burnley. I think they'll obviously get a win there, but then I think this might just be like, oh, we're not quite back at the level that we were thinking that we were at. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go for a 2-0 Tottenham win. I think that goal glut might come in the week against Burnley for Liverpool and then they might shy away again when it goes to the and and their trip to London. So that's my prediction. It's a pretty bold one, but... I think it's justified based on their recent poor goal-scoring record.
0: Well, we'll we'll both be glued to this one then, waiting to see what happens with it. But I think I think it's a testament to how good Tottenham have been this season that we're even looking at it as that being a possibility, regardless of Liverpool's poor form recently. Tottenham have definitely found another gear this year and they they deserve a lot of praise for that. So yeah, definitely a chance for them to win it. Uh, By no means do I think it's going to be an easy game for Liverpool. But yeah, I'm I'm going to stick to my prediction and and say Liverpool are going to win and we'll we'll just have to find out uh, come Thursday next week. I look forward to it.
2: Um, Just one more question on this game. I saw something in the news recently. Uh, I read something that someone, I think it was on TalkSport, someone came out and said, that Thiago in the middle of the park had been slowing down the way that Liverpool have been playing recently. He's a more of a systematic player who doesn't look to put the ball uh, into the attacking player straight away. He likes to dab on the ball and then, and then slowly bring down the tempo and, and work a passing move rather than, I guess, the exciting attacking play that we've seen with Liverpool in recent seasons. Do you think that's something that's holding them back now that he's playing that central role rather than someone like Jordan Henderson? Or Fabinho? Do you think that's an issue, or do you think that's just reading too much into individual player roles?
0: Um, well, yeah. Firstly, if, if it was from Talksport that was said, then I wouldn't worry too much about their opinions because I tend to think most of what they say is absolute garbage. Um, you find much better opinions on this here podcast than you ever will on Talksport. But yeah, <laughs> but no. In all seriousness, I mean, it's a it's a strange comment to make I think I mean he's he's clearly a very very talented footballer and I I think he will have arrived at Liverpool for a reason they've signed him for a reason because they want the way he plays and they know that he's got the ability to play the way that they want him to play the idea that he's going to come in and gone against Klopp's philosophy or gone against the way that they play their build-up play and that the entire team is going to change because of the way he's playing I think is a bit of an exaggeration of the impact that one player can have there's, there is maybe an element to be said that he's adjusting to the Premier League, he's adjusting to the pace of it. But then we're not talking about a player that's played in the lower sort of echelons of the French League or the sort of played in the Bundesliga for a couple of years. We're talking about consistently one of the world's best midfielders who's played at some of the best clubs in the world with some of the best players in the world. You don't get into that position if you can only play one style of football in the middle of the park. And I think he's got the potential to play however Liverpool want him to play and, and keep the, the pace of the game. So, yeah, I think that's probably more of a someone looking to get a headline rather than anything that I'd put any real weight to. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think there's anything more to it than that?
2: Oh, yeah. I never said I agree with what (laughs) I heard on TalkSport. But uh, I thought it was interesting because obviously we've seen of Thiago at Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich play a very different brand of football to Liverpool. And in that Bayern Munich team, Thiago kind of, you know, he was that guy in the middle of the pitch who would just spray passes and maybe... Liverpool are used to having someone in the middle of the park who can really drive the ball forward and he's not that guy. But that could well just be a result of all the injuries that Liverpool currently have. Maybe he wouldn't be playing alone in the middle, usually in in this Liverpool team, and that's just where he's having to play as a result of all these injuries. So I don't think it's a complete comment without substance. I think there's some kind of reasoning there to why whoever person on TalkSport said this. But um, I thought it'd be interesting to get someone else's opinion, whether it's something that other people have noticed Um, personally I haven't but I'll be watching this Tottenham game with a special interest now just to see if he is he is being that player or is you know causing some kind of disruptance in uh, in this Liverpool side
0: yeah definitely I'll I'll be keeping a close eye on it too now that we've discussed it but I think one of the things you just said is is quite true as well which I hadn't thought of that obviously we've got to bear in mind the injuries that Liverpool have got and before Thiago came in Liverpool weren't playing with the central central defensive partnership of Henderson and Fabinho, so it probably would be fair to say that if you're the central midfielder sitting in front of those two, you probably need to play slightly more of a protective and sensible role than someone that picks up the ball and drives forward. Because if he does try and drive forward and loses the ball, he's leaving those two players exposed to are not playing in their natural position. So, you know, maybe there's some substance to it in that sense. It would be interesting to see how he will perform in that team once they've got their full lineup back together and they've got. You know Gomez and Van Dyke back in that uh, central defensive position, and you know maybe then he gets more of a free role and can perform at the level that people might expect a more traditional Liverpool player in that position to play.
2: Okay, moving on to our question for this week from Tom, which is the following: uh, With Mason Mount, Jack Grealish, and James Madison all having great seasons, which one would you take to play in your team? I'm gonna let Angus go first, and there's still here uh, answering this question. So yeah, who would you take at Southampton?
1: without really batting an eyelid i'd take jack Grealish. he's the one who's got the biggest ceiling he's going from strength to strength under not the greatest of villa sides he showed last season and even again this season how much talent he has he can really influence games he can break teams down he's a match winner the other two are fantastic players and especially james madison he can score some unbelievable goals but just i love watching Grealish. i don't like him as a person He's, he's a bit dodgy. And then the sometimes the diving is annoying. But however, what he does on the pitch, he is more of the player in like the gazo kind of mould. He's He picks up the ball. He can dribble past anyone. He can pass. He can do anything in his, you need in a player, he can do. He's just, he's an incredible player. And it's 100% he's the one I'd take.
0: I think it's a tougher question than... I thought it would have been at the start of the season because James Madison would be the ones that had stood out. Um, But this season, they have all been really good. I I think Madison and Grealish, for me, are are still, I would take both of those over Mason Mount. Although he's been good for Chelsea, I still don't think he's been as good as those two in terms of his impact on the team in general. And he doesn't run the team in the same way as those two have a tendency to do. But yeah, I think I have to agree with Angus on that. I think Jack Grealish is probably the one that you would have to take at the moment which is probably a bit harsh on Madison who is also having a very good season but I mean you you have to look at the way Aston Villa played last season and the way Aston Villa played this season and a huge part of that is down to the way that Jack Grealish has picked up his form and has become such a key player for them I think without him they'd be in a very different position in the league so a player that can single-handedly turn the form of their team in that way deserves a lot of respect and I think every team would would love to have a player that can do that in their squad
2: Yeah, I'm finding it pretty hard to disagree with either of you. I think Jack Grealish is the standout player of those three. This season, he's been in immense form, scoring goals, creating assists, basically making the Aston Villa team tick, uh, which you can't really say the same about the other two. Uh, The only other argument is, you know, temperament and how they come across as people. I mean, that definitely plays a part in terms of my selection process. I don't think Jack Grealish is the the pinnacle of humans. I don't think he's the nicest guy off the pitch. I don't think he's the nicest guy on it. And he doesn't strike me as a massively... Nice bloke to have. Maybe if things aren't going well in the dressing room, I can imagine if there's like a bit of turmoil there if your team's not getting the results. I can imagine them being a bit childish, maybe being a bit immature in certain situations. Whereas the other two, I think have had a bit more in their career so far that might help them in and out of these situations. Mason Mount, obviously, with that championship experience at Derby, James Madison, the same with Norwich. And I think they both maybe have just had a bit more experience at different levels to give them a bit more perspective on football. Saying that, I probably would take Jack Grealish as well. But James Madison, I think, is one of those players who can just produce moments out of nothing. We saw that in the Southampton game at the weekend. He popped up in the box and just smashed it in without any kind of hesitation. He was just you know, almost automatic, and that's the kind of form he's in this season. I think had he been fit from the start of the season, he'd be putting up the same numbers as Jack Grealish. So it would be a dead heat between those two for me. No disrespect to Mason Mount, but I think it would be a very difficult choice to pick between Grealish and Madison. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go
1: Madison just to be different from you two. I would say it's a great position for England to be in. To have two players like Jack Grealish and James Madison and Mason Mount in all fairness, to be coming through and to have that competition young creative players who want to take the game to the opposition it's amazing and I think the other player who's in the same bracket is Phil Foden he is a sensation waiting to happen I think he's going to be a potential Ballon d'Or winner I think he is going to be one of the greatest players in the world I think he's just that good
2: yeah I think he's going to be some player all right that brings an end to this episode of the 3PL podcast a big thank you for Angus for coming back on and chatting with us and finally a big thank you to everyone who continues to listen each week We'll be back again same time next week to preview the upcoming games in the Premier League. Until then, make sure you are following us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And also make sure you are subscribed on YouTube to never miss an episode. And we'll catch you all again next week.